Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house. I don't know. What are you doing in your house? Or your apartment or in the movie theater or wherever you are. This is Craig, the founder, programmer of Secret Movie Club, wishing you and yours uh, all the best and happy new year and happy holidays, whatever you celebrate, however you celebrate. Today is a bonus pod. Uh, It's going to be just a short stream of consciousness. Lucky you guys uh, thinking about some of my own personal favorite holiday movies and and holiday moments. It's much shorter than our normal podcast. uh, So it's bite size before you head down the stairs to have your, your holiday dinner or binge your favorite show or watch your favorite movie or sleep through it or whatever you're going to do. Um, before we get to that, just to let you know, as of today, uh, December 24th, 2021, we have announced and launched tickets for our entire January, 2022. So just go to Eventbrite, uh, secret movie club, or go to secretmovieclub.com and click calendar. And you can see all of our events, Uh, We're actually going to continue announcing events uh, very shortly with our February and our March. We've actually programmed all three months, and we are returning to three-month seasons. We'll see if that's a a wise or a foolhardy decision, depending on what 2022 has in store for us. But just some things to put on your radar uh, right now. And then when uh, the Secret Movie Club team reassembles your favorite lovable Connor Lloyd Cruz, Edwin Gomez, Daniel Ott, who are all just enjoying a much needed break because they worked their butts off in 2021 for Secret Movie Club. And uh, I'm very grateful to them. Um, but when we all return, we'll do our, our January pod and we'll, we'll do more in-depth pods on everything that's coming up and return to our regular format. But just to put some things on your radar, in January, we're having the Ferrelli brothers and co-screenwriter Bennett Yellen come uh, Saturday, January 29th to the Million Dollar Theater to talk about Dumb and Dumber, which we're showing on 35 millimeter. I'm super excited about that. You'll notice in January that our programming definitely embraces, I want to I come up with a better term, but let's just say Catholic programming, uh, lowercase c. That is, uh, we're examining, is there something to Michael Bay? Can we call Michael Bay an auteur? Uh, and we're going to do four of the movies of his that people often point to as being his best, uh, Pain and Gain, Bad Boys 2, uh, The Rock, and Armageddon. We're doing an evolution of Adam Sandler from Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore to the more sort of beloved by Cine East's Punch Drunk Love and Uncut Gems. Uh, And we're looking at Dumb and Dumber, which uh, is right now our biggest selling event of January. At the same time, lest you think we're... uh, uh, we've gone in a direction that scares you, or maybe our direction scared you. We are also continuing with our Take a Chance Cinema. We're showing Takashi Miike's Visitor Q. And that if this is my favorite Takashi Miike movie, and Takashi Miike is the director of the horror movie Audition, Happiness of the Katakuris, and a hundred other movies. Uh, Audition is probably his most transgressive most unsettling, most disturbing, if you can believe it, from the guy who brought you Ichi the Killer and DOA. Uh, it's definitely NC-17. And basically every scene presents what should be an unfilmable taboo uh, and then ups it and goes to the next scene and you're like, where are they going to go? And then they go somewhere you can't believe they're going. And yet by the end of the movie, 
he, Mieke has somehow paradoxically uh, also made an incredibly heartwarming, life-affirming movie. It's one of the most mind-boggling films I've ever seen. I love it. I think it's one of the masterpieces of the 21st century. It is definitely not for everybody. So if you don't think that you want to spend uh, Wednesday, uh, January 12th, watching scenes of incest, abuse, uh, drug use, necrophilia, Uh, just to name a few, uh, I understand, but, uh, if you're like, yeah, I'll give that a chance. Uh, I hope you will take a chance on it. I I think if you can stick with it, uh, it's, it's an incredible movie, but definitely a challenging one. And, uh, we are also doing the little movie that could, we're showing all these great micro budget movies that I find incredibly inspiring, uh, from, uh, Andrew Bujalski's mutual appreciation and computer chess to, uh, bellflower and primer to amazing movies, uh, that I hope you'll, you'll take a chance on to Robert Rodriguez's famous El Mariachi, which he made for eight grand on 16 millimeter. Uh, we are also in January, we've announced our director of the year, and I'm going to get more into this later. Uh, I don't feel today is quite the right time to do the, the big one, but as prologue, our director of 2022 is, uh, John Ford. And, uh, it, it, You've probably heard me say in other podcasts that my three favorite directors, my trinity, uh, are Akira Kurosawa, John Ford, and Jean Renoir. And uh, it's a a real treat, a real honor to finally do John Ford. And we've been able to confirm everything uh, so far on 35, which is doubly exciting. If you don't, I'm sure, you know, if you're a film lover, you went to film school, I don't want to insult you by talking about John Ford, but you may not, if you don't know about him, uh, or if you do, just, just by way of quick introduction, John Ford is often considered in many ways, the father of so much cinema, both uh, American and international. Um, He uh, directed for 50 plus years and made uh, incredible movies ranging from Stagecoach to The Grapes of Wrath to How Green Was My Valley, My Darling Clementine, Evilry Trilogy, The Quiet Man. Probably his most famous uh, is The Searchers, which he made uh, late career. Uh, and also the man who shot Liberty Valance, but as I just mentioned, just just barely scratched the surface of of someone who uh, was always gruff on the exterior, always denied that what he was doing was art. Um, I think almost as a defense mechanism, so that he could just constantly uh, be making movies. He was also one of the smartest people who ever worked in Hollywood. He was also one of the most complicated, and we'll get into it, but. Basically, uh, if we didn't have John, we might not have Citizen Kane as it exists because Orson Welles basically just watched Stagecoach something like 30 plus times and had people come in from every department to explain how it was made. Orson Welles really felt that John Ford was the old master. That's the one that you, and that was in 1940 and Ford still had 25 years of filmmaking to go, which is sort of mind blowing. Um, Akira Kurosawa cites John Ford as his major influence, as do um, Federico Fellini, Igmar Bergman, uh, Morsese, Steven Spielberg, one of their main influences, just to name a very small handful of directors. Uh, I'm obsessed with Ford because he somehow was able to make incredibly cinematic movies with some of the best shots, staging, lighting you'll ever see with a profound humanism and uh, a restless willingness to uh, take on hot topics 
Um, and he's, his ability to create a shot or tell a story uh, or express an emotion um, is unparalleled. And, I, and uh, we're going to open in January with uh, the first movie in his Cavalry trilogy, Fort Apache, which in many ways is like a rough draft for the man who shot Liberty Valance. It's incredible. Uh, I chose that particularly because... Ford, with with some reason and justification, is sometimes uh, nowadays looked at as somebody who turned into a reactionary. Uh, He also made a lot of Westerns where the Native Americans were the bad guys uh, and not really given a personality or identity. But with Ford Apache, even earlier than that, with Wee Willie Winkie, a Shirley Temple picture, but we'll we'll talk about that another time. Um, Ford realized that he really needed to show people where he really stood on the issue. And Fort Apache shows the Native Americans as the heroes, shows the the white military as the aggressors, basically shows the Native Americans as not wanting to fight, just wanting to be given equal rights and left alone. And even the military people know they deserve full respect. But this great Custer-like character played by Henry Fonda just wants fortune and glory and ambition and doesn't care about anybody. And so foolhardily insists that his military goes into battle against a a Native American tribe that really just wants peace. So it's an incredibly complex movie. And I think the thing I would just say about Ford, and then we'll, we'll leave it and come back to it, is that, sure, looked at by the standards of 2021 or 2022, there's a lot to find fault with in Ford, as I'm sure a hundred years from now, people will find fault with the movies that we make, but look through the prism of the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, and 1960s. Uh, I just think he was one of the most subversive, progressive, and at the same time, uh, restlessly intellectual, restlessly artistic. You know, I'm sure you can hear it, the old man to me um, is what cinema is, and uh, and God bless John Ford, and I hope you'll you'll give him a chance. And uh, we have many other things. Man, this intro has taken a long time, but uh, I will just also tell you on the horizon, we're doing F.W. Murnau's Sunrise on 35 with a 12-piece orchestra. We're doing uh, one of the first animated movies ever made, Prince Ahmed, The Adventures of Prince Ahmed on 35 with, from a, with a hand-tinted print from Italy uh, with a gamelan band uh, and, and much, much more. But stay tuned for that. Uh, let's get to it. So today, I, I just wanted to do my favorite novel of all time, and forgive me this pretentiousness, audience, or don't forgive me. Uh, maybe I need to, to learn to talk differently. Also, if you hear uh, a sort of low-level rumbling, uh, it is raining today, which is beautiful. I'm recording this on December 23rd, and there's rain in Los Angeles. And uh, if you're a native Los Angelino like me, uh, the sound of rain is a joyous, rare sound that puts you in a very certain joyous mood. And I've talked to many people who come from places where it rains like 300 days a year, and they do not feel that. 300 days a year, but uh, in LA, the rain is, I don't know what it would be comparable to. Probably comparable to a sunny day in other places, but it's just a wonderful day that puts you in an introspective mood. Um, I want to talk about, in a stream of consciousness way, uh, some of my favorite holiday movies and holiday moments, 
what I was about to say before I yet again fell down the rabbit hole of digression was my favorite is, and I mean this, this isn't showboating. Um, my favorite novel is James Joyce's Ulysses. You know, I probably only understand 30% of it. Um, but every time I read it, I've only read it twice. I don't know what I mean by every time I read it. Um, but I've read it twice and it's experimentation with the form. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, it's not sterile or, um, I don't know how to explain it. There's a lot of experimentation that I see where I respect it. I always respect experimentation, but I don't, I, I, I guess it's just hard to experiment and really, uh, invent something new or do something wildly exciting. Uh, but in James Joyce's Ulysses, every page, every chapter, you're like, holy moly, I want to make a movie like this. Uh, this is just blowing my mind and what, what, what creative work can be. And, um, so in Ulysses, uh, James Joyce, uh, famously, uh, wrote in a stream of consciousness style where often chapters were just sort of stream of consciousness from a character's POV. But it's funny how he gets labeled because if you read Ulysses, sometimes a chapter is just newspaper headlines. Sometimes it's a play. Sometimes it's a poem. Sometimes it's drinking songs. Sometimes it's incredible travelogue around Dublin. Uh, so it's it just incredible. But uh, given that you're going to be hearing this on uh, Christmas Eve, uh, there are great holiday movies or holiday moments uh, that I, I wanted to name check, but I'm going to actually be brief about this. I'm not going to go on for, <laughs> despite my prologue may have led you to believe. I, I, I want to bullet point it and get out. So let's do it. Um, you know, we're showing today, by the time you hear this, it will have been shown. But one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, no surprise, Frank Capra's 1946, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart. Uh, a mooch was not a hit in its day, but because it fell into the public domain, got played all the time on TV because it was free. And uh, consequently, people came to love it because it was on and they watched it. And it's uh, just legit, just a legit classic. And, uh, you know, if you've never seen It's a Wonderful Life or stayed away from it because you were like, ah, that movie that everyone always plays. You should check it out because it tells the story basically of George Bailey uh, and the, the, the device in the movie is amazing. Basically, George Bailey's considering committing suicide and we later learn that's because he's afraid he's going to go to jail and leave his family with nothing. So he's thinking of killing himself so they get his life insurance policy. And these angels, it's like the opening of the movie. It's pretty pretty wild opening. Almost more like a Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger movie than a Frank Capra movie. These angels gather and uh, they basically watch George Bailey's life uh, so that this uh, guardian angel named Clarence, who hasn't got his wings yet, can go down and try to figure out a way to convince George not to commit suicide. And so most of the movie is George Bailey's life. We, we find out he's just a very selfless, giving guy. And then eventually you get one of the most amazing third acts. I'd put it up there with uh, Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai as one of the greatest third acts ever, uh, or fifth acts, if you've heard me talk about how I prefer fifth acts uh, or five act structure. But, um, and basically, uh, Clarence appears and George wishes that he'd never been born. And uh, Clarence, because he's got powers, is able to show George what that would have been like. And suddenly for a half hour, we see all the characters that we've grown to love throughout the movie living in a world without George Bailey. And it's almost like an incredible Twilight Zone. Um, and then uh, and it's definitely a riff on A Christmas Carol as well. Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Uh, and I love that movie because... 
interestingly, I think, you know, Capra, I, it, it is in some ways the most Capra of Capra movies. It's also the one where Capra really sticks the landing. Um, I love Capra and I love Meet John Doe. I love um, uh, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. I, I love uh, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I love all those movies. But, you know, Capra's worldview was there was there there always seemed to be internal logic flaws in it and people have pointed out the internal logic flaws in it's a wonderful life as well but i feel that on a psychological and emotional level actually it's a wonderful life is one of the most uh, astute um affecting profound uh movies ever made and i think it gets at the heart of maybe what if we're lucky enough to have loved ones you know and we have to recognize that the holidays are really brutal on people as well for people who don't get along with their families and for whatever reason can't be with them. And now I wish everyone the best. I know we're dealing with Omicron. Um, it's a wonderful life though. Uh, gets at the heart of how important community and human relationships are. And it almost feels like that's what Christmas really is. Um, now, ping-ponging from that, we just did Igmar Bergman's uh, Fanny and Alexander. And the thing I always tell people is that I don't watch the three-hour version. Uh, oh, it's a totally great version. The three-hour version was just cut uh, to, for a theatrical release. Uh, the original Fanny and Alexander was five hours and 20 minutes, is five hours and 20 minutes. And that's the version that Bergman says is the real version. And I, I, I've seen both. And I mean, the, the five-hour, 20-minute version, which was a, a television-limited series, in my opinion, is so superior um, because there's just a story one to tell. Um, and it opens with the first episode is an 80-minute movie unto itself that all takes place on Christmas Eve. And um, it shows this family, the Eggerman family, <coughs> excuse me, uh, a um, theatrical family. You see three generations of the Eggermans, the grandmother who is actually my experience of grandmothers. She's really the matriarch of the family. She's the smartest person in the room. She doesn't suffer fools gladly, but she also loves life and she's great. And she hosts the annual Christmas Eve party. You see her, you see all of her children who are the parents and you see the grandchildren, which include Fanny and Alexander, who the story will be built around. And uh, you see these three levels of family on Christmas Eve, and you see all the joy, but you also see all the behind the scenes uh, frustration and irritation and dysfunction. Um, but overall, at the end of this 80 minute episode, which is just incredible, I mean, you got to see it because it really captures Christmas Eve. You're just left with that feeling. I remember, you know, I, I came, I, I come from a huge Jewish and Irish Catholic family. And um, on the Jewish side, we'd celebrate Hanukkah. We'd all get together for Hanukkah. And on the Catholic side, we'd all go to Mass and uh, then go celebrate Christmas Eve. And, uh, you know, it's it, even though obviously I'm not Swedish and I don't come from a theatrical family, uh, the, the, what Bergman captures in Fanny and Alexander is almost identical to how I remember my childhood Christmas Eves. My uncles would moon us. Uh, you know, they, there would be a lot of drinking, a lot of shouting. There'd be some fighting. There'd be a lot of singing. Uh, all the cousins would run around the house and open gifts. And, uh, it was just this explosion and you couldn't contain it sort of expression of, of energy. And, and I think it's why I've probably my wife and I, Martha and I have three kids. Um, I have four sisters and two brothers myself. And I think I, I I'm, um, 
very grateful and, and I'm very superstitious. I want to say this very humbly, but I, I just came from a family where the house was always full and we actually pretty much liked each other. Although, you know, as you get older, you realized your aunts and uncles had a lot more problems with each other than you knew. Uh, and that's, that's definitely something that Fanny Ann Alexander gets at too, but everybody would put that aside, you know, drink some spiked eggnog and, uh, and run around and laugh and play with the kids and open Christmas gifts. And, and Fanny and Alexander captures that. So going to another thing, I would highly recommend that everybody sees one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger's Black Narcissus, which is not really a holiday movie. Um, but it, it, it has a long section that takes place at Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Uh, and that movie deals with a bunch of nuns who go into the Himalayas to take over, it's a really crazy premise, take over a former bordello or basically harem for the local leader. And uh, it's got erotic pain. This movie was made in 1948 or 49, the late 40s or 47 maybe. But uh, basically these nuns headed by Deborah Carr go up to take over this former harem and convert it into a, a nunnery where they're going to teach the local children and, and minister to them and try to basically bring Christianity to the Himalayas. And this local Brit, who's their sort of emissary and guide, who really lives a, an almost definitely a sensual, you might even say hedonistic life, basically tries to convince them that Christianity is not going to work up there. Uh, they don't heed him, but slowly they, they're um, austere Christianity or the way that they practice their austere Christianity runs headlong into a very sensual, vital, uh, earthy, yet still spiritual, uh, Himalayan culture. And, um, there's this great scene where they're doing a Christmas Eve mass. Um, and, uh, this character, the Brit, the comes drunk cause he loves to offend the uh, nuns. And also he's like always shown with his shirt open cause the nuns are all hot for him. Um, I showed on a double bill with Paul Verhoeven's Benedetta. Uh, oh, maybe you'll see that secret movie clovers. But, um, uh, he comes in drunk and totally offends Deborah Carr, but you can tell too that Deborah Carr is drawn to him and that she herself, you get backstory on her. She's life loving. And I, I love that movie because it also, I, I think talks about one of the essential conflicts that, uh, needs to be wrestled with, uh, if you're a spiritual person, um, which is looking at all the damage that religion has wrought um, because religion can be politics like politics can be politics. And if you're a spiritual person, and even more if you're a spiritual person who, as I am, I'm a practicing Catholic, but I always say that's just because it's you know, poetry in my native tongue, but I, I try as often as I can uh, once a year to go to a Hindu service, a, a Muslim service, a go to synagogue, uh, a Hindu, I think I just said that, uh, you know, I've gone to um, uh, uh, Buddhist services, you know, I, 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 I don't think that my thing is better than anybody else's thing. I think it's all an expression of the same thing. Um, and I don't want to get controversial, but I, I've always felt that, you know, God must be the God of all. Uh, and, uh, and it's certainly, <laughs> I think the world bears out that, that everyone comes to that belief or non-belief, uh, or agnosticism from different paths. Um, and, uh, and I think that black narcissus gets at that basically, um, which is the conflict of the earthy and the sensual, uh, and the secular with the spiritual, with the religious and what's the good and what's the bad in all of it. Um, and I, I think that's vital, 
vital, vital, vital, always vital to deal with. Um, and that, you know, ping pongs me to uh, a great, uh, all these movies that have isolated Christmas sequences. You know, there's always that thing about, is this a Christmas movie? Is this a holiday movie? Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? You know, uh, and, um, but there are a lot of movies that just have a Christmas sequence, like The Godfather, uh, which I've always toyed around with showing as a Christmas movie, but I don't. But, um, you know, the key event, which is the attempted assassination of uh, Vito Corleone, Marlon Brando, happens around Christmas time. And Michael's change, Michael Corleone's change from being, you know, his tragic Shakespearean downfall from being a, um, you know, a discharged with honors military man who stays out of the family business, which is the mafia, to basically taking over the family business and becoming one of the most ruthless mafia kingpins you could ever imagine, happens around Christmas, which is a beautiful irony. Um, you know, it, it, now that gets me ping-ponging to a movie that I think is totally a Christmas movie, and I am I am uh, putting it on the list. It was just made five or six years ago. That's Sean Baker's Tangerine. And if you haven't seen Tangerine yet, it all takes place on Christmas Eve. And it deals with uh, two transgender uh, black sex workers. One of them has just gotten out of prison after 30 days. And uh, she finds out that her fiance, also her pimp, uh, may actually have been in a relationship with an actual woman, another one of his uh, prostitutes. And she goes off on the hunt for him and her and her best friend basically can't really control her. She's a volcano. She's amazing. But the movie really becomes about their friendship across this day. And the whole movie is mostly just shot on uh, Santa Monica Boulevard uh, between, um, I think I'm trying to, I think it gets almost as far as La Cienega and it definitely goes to, you know, past Vermont. But if you're an LA native like I am, that's a blast. The fact that you also get to see Donut Time, which used to be on uh, Santa Monica and Highland. Now it's Trejo's Donuts, uh, Donnie Trejo. But, but it's funny. It's a total holiday movie that again, you raise is about um, community and tolerance and non-judgment and the, the validity, the not validity, but the, the sanctity the importance of um, watering and nurturing or repairing um, relationships with other people. Uh, and so I think a lot of these movies, holiday movies, you realize that the barrier, the hidden metaphor is that. And uh, uh, I think I'm going to end on this. There's so many, so many. I love the raunchy ones like Bad Santa. Man, do I love Bad Santa. Not the one where they added scenes they shouldn't have had. Don't get the unrated versions of any movies. I was just talking to the uh, Bennett Yellen, who's going to come speak about Dumb and Dumber, and that's just something people, studios and producers do to get you to rebuy a DVD. Or Always watch the theatrical version if everyone tells you it was great. Bad Santa, directed by Terry Zweigoff, with a uh, rewrite by the Coen brothers, starring Billy Bob Thornton as uh, an alcoholic Santa who starts a relationship with uh, with a Jewish woman who has always had a fantasy about having sex with Santa. And then he just invites himself into this house with this senile grandmother played by Cloris Leachman and this little boy whose dad is in jail. It's a crazy movie. It's hard to explain. Uh, you know, he's an alcoholic Santa who robs department stores with his elf uh, companion robber. And he, he's just like a sex-addicted alcoholic Santa Totally raunchy, somehow affirms Christmas. Coen brothers write a great script. Uh, but I wanted to end, there's a great Preston Sturges movie called The Miracle at Morgan's Creek, which I am determined to show. Oh, I got one, I got one more after this, but I'll make it quick. Uh, 
that is a screwball comedy version of a holiday movie. And in that one, it, it's amazing how boundary pushing that one was. Um, that one made in the 40s. The basic premise is this a woman, after a drunken night with a soldier who's shipping out for World War II, realizes she's pregnant. And the boy who's always pined after her, played amazingly by Eddie Bracken, I hope I'm saying his name right, um, who you, you would know uh, later in like uh, National Lampoon's Vacation as the owner of Wally World. Um, but, and, he, and he shows up in Home Alone too. Uh, but Eddie Bracken basically, who's very goofy, wants to help her out and uh, basically says he's the father of the kid. And uh, it really deals with unwed pregnancy uh, in the 1940s. And then the miracle at Morgan's Creek is only revealed at the end of the movie. But it's just, a, you know, if you've never seen Preston Sturges, his movies are, you know, loony. And uh, they they always have these twists and turns. Where you're like, What? Uh, but in a in a great great way, and and you know he inspired most famously the Coens, who definitely take a very pr- uh, Sturges tone uh, when they make comedies like uh, Raising Arizona, even Big Lebowski. Um, there's there's a lot of Sturges in a lot of their comedies and what they're willing to do, and that that comes from Preston Sturges. Um, but I want to end on uh, probably my. Uh, second favorite holiday movie uh, behind It's a Wonderful Life, but it's dumb to even rank them. And that's uh, Ernst Lubitsch's uh, The Shop Around the Corner, also starring Jimmy Stewart. Uh, so we got to give it up to Jimmy Stewart. But um, if you've never seen The Shop Around the Corner, it's this love letter by master filmmaker Ernst Lubitsch to uh, Europe. Um, Ernst Lubitsch, like many Jews, came uh, to the United States in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Uh, Lubitsch before uh, people like Billy Wilder, who really were leaving because of the rise of uh, the National Socialists and the Nazis. Lubitsch was here earlier because he was making these sophisticated sex comedies in Europe, and America wanted him to do that. Um, You know, Lubitsch is famous for what's called the Lubitsch touch, which is so cinematic that you just have to watch Lubitsch movies really to get it. But, uh, you know, a great, I always explain like one of my favorite Lubitsch touches, even though it's not the most subtle is in this movie with Marie Chevalier and Jeanette McDonald, it's musical. And, you know, I don't know if it's the smiling Lieutenant or the love parade, uh, but it's one of those, I think, um, where basically, um, Marie Chevalier is this womanizer in, in Paris and he goes out and he sings this song to all the women he's had an affair with. And you get this shot of the Parisian apartment across the way and you see like 20 women all listening to it. So, you know, he's like had relationships with all these women. Then his butler comes out and does the next verse of the song and then 20 French maids come out. That's great. But then the capper is then their dog comes out and barks and then 20 French poodles all lift their heads. That's like a Lubitsch touch, even though a kind of a <laughs> one of the more broad ones. Um, but in the shop around the corner, it's a love letter to his dad, who was a European businessman, and, and it all revolves around a Hungarian uh, department store, um, Matashek and Sons, even though, or I think it's Matashek, I'm going to blow it. But anyway, Matashek, he he owns it, played by the Wizard of Oz, of all people, the actor who was in Oz. Um, the, but basically, uh, Mr. Matashek has all these employees and uh, it's hard times outside, and Jimmy Stewart is the head. Cl- and Margaret Sullivan, who actually Jimmy Stewart, uh, that was the love of Jimmy Stewart's life before he married his wife, um, the uh, base Gloria. 
basically, uh, Margaret Sullivan plays this uh, very smart woman who needs a job, and uh, she talks her way into being a clerk. And of course, as romantic habit, Jimmy Stewart and she do not get along at all in person. They're knocking heads all the time. Little do they know, though, that they are pen pals, uh, because I guess back in the day, one of the ways that single people would have relations still sort of be above suspicion would be to, you know, make love in letters and get to know someone through a secret letter exchange. And they don't know that actually they're totally, they are totally in love with each other through their letters. And so of course you're watching the whole movie to see will they or won't they. Uh, it all takes place across the Christmas season, but it's also peppered with, again, these like there's there's a whole sub storyline that Mr. Matashek's wife is clearly cheating on him with one of his employees, uh, and he suspects it's Jimmy Stewart, and it's not, and we know it in that great cinematic tradition. We know everything we need to know. We just watch that the characters don't know it, so we get great dramatic irony. Um, we see uh, there's there's an attempt to die in the movie on Christmas Eve or just a few days before. Um, there's uh, you know, all the dynamics of a department store. There, there's one clerk uh, who's played by an actor. I love a great character actor. I think it's Felix Brassart, but I don't know if I'm saying that right. Who, you know, he gets along with everybody, but he never wants to get in the middle of arguments because he never wants to offend anybody. So whenever an argument happens, you just get all these shots of him turning around and going somewhere else, which is great. Uh, but, but again, uh, the shop around the corner, somehow the heart that the holidays are about people and about relationships, um, and maybe getting over ourselves, uh, to affirm and deepen and form or forge relationships. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, I watch a lot of movies and when, when they deal with God or the afterworld, I've noticed sort of anecdotally, that the score for those, the composers often choose to score with voices, human voices, choruses or choirs. And um, I've always thought that there's got to be a subconscious reason for that, that, you know, um, the, the Sufi poet Rumi said, a revealer of mystery and that which is revealed are the same. And I don't think, I don't, I don't take a secular take on that. I want to be very clear. I believe in God. I believe in the transcendent. But I, I think that that mystery is uh, is really inscrutable and really deep. And I, I, I don't proclaim, nor am I trying to say here that I, I really understand it. I, I sort of get, you know, in the book of Job, when God tells Job, I am what I am, and appears as a whirlwind. You're like, I, there's no way to understand God in, in a way. And yet, you know, I have my personal sense of God. And, and, um, and but, but I guess what I'm trying to get at is that I find the spiritual and the transcendent inextricably um, married and woven with the human and uh, the ethical and the moral and the secular. And and I think that uh, our tendency to make things binaries is on us. I don't think that's really how the universe operates. And I think that holiday movies at their best hint at that and get at that. Um, and, and I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> so I don't know what else to say other than Merry Christmas, Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy New Year. If you don't celebrate any of those things, uh, just thank you for being you. And uh, we wish you the best 2022 ever and a good closeout to 2021. Thank you, Secret Movie Clubbers, for hanging tough with us across uh, a very 
interesting and weird few years. We're going to get through this, though. And uh, cinema is not only going to survive, it's going to thrive. And you're making it happen in your own individual ways. Uh, and I'll be part of, let's all be part of that thriving and coming back. Let's make movies. Let's show movies. Let's watch movies. Let's celebrate one of the great art forms ever. And let's, let's advance it and progress it and celebrate it and be a part of it. Oh, and I didn't mention this. This is what I'll end up on. Uh, uh, at the end of January, on January 26th, Wednesday at 8 p.m., we're doing our first open mic shorts night. So if you've got a short that's under 10 minutes, we will consider one or two shorts, but the absolute ceiling is 30 minutes. So over 10 minutes, we'll consider one or two of them, but we're going to keep the program to 90 minutes. If you've got a short that's on 3516 or digital, then write us at uh, community at secretmovieclub.com. Send us a link and a password, and uh, we're going to put it together. When we hit 90 minutes, we're going to stop for January, and uh, we would love for you to show your short, invite some folks, and let's uh, let's build a community of uh, movie makers. And then in February, we're actually going to move to announcing a theme at the beginning of the month, and then everyone's going to make a short on that theme, and then we're going to show it at the end of the month. So we're going to start creating. We're going to start making. And then maybe you'll meet the screenwriter you need if you're a director, the DP, or the composer, or the editor. Uh, we hope... Uh, either the, the costume designer or the producer, whatever. We want all of you to come. Let's, I love LA, an industry town. This is where we make movies. Let's make movies again and, and get to know each other. So there you go. Uh, thank you guys so much for everything. Um, I wish you all the best. Thank you for everything you've given us. We need to give you more and uh, we'll see you soon. And next week there will be a podcast episode. Um, it's going to be, uh, a, a collection, believe it or not, of the very first podcast we ever recorded before we assembled the team. We're going to call them the Lost Episodes. Like uh, Star Trek had that lost pilot where the captain's Christopher Pike and not uh, Captain Kirk. Uh, but a bunch of my friends recorded proto-er podcasts, and we're going to finally uh, do a, a pod B6. It's going to be the best uh, clips and moments from those proto-er lost podcasts, uh, which really took one of the very first podcast we ever recorded. So uh, stay tuned for that. That'll drop on uh, December 31st, 2021. Until then... Uh, God bless you. All the best. However you want to hear that message. I hope, I hope you hear the message behind the message and we wish you the very best. <laughs>